Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the way. Amen. Man, I, I feel like I'm stepping into the middle of a party and saying, hey, y'all want to pray? But gosh, we've gathered here in God's house. I bet some of us really would like to talk to God for a moment, wouldn't we? Hey, let's have a moment of prayer. Oh, Father, we come before you and we celebrate what you did through your son, Jesus Christ, in the death, burial, and resurrection. And by what happened on that day, that weekend, Lord, we can enter your presence. We have access to you. Hebrews actually tells us we we can come before you confidently before a throne of grace. Thank you for the name of Jesus that provides me that access, that provides us that access. And Father, we come before you now to say thank you. We come before you to praise you. Lord, maybe there's some places we want to come before you and say I'm sorry. Lord, I know we entered this room. A lot of things going on in life. There's places we need healing. We need help. We need hope. God, there's places we need guidance and direction. We, we need a, a provision. God, would you hear our prayers? Would you answer those prayers? Lord, I pray for every person in here right now, each one online that maybe is calling out to you specifically right now, that God, this day, this week, and that very thing they're calling out, they'll see great evidence of your goodness and faithfulness. Thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, again, happy Resurrection Day. Hey, listen, if you believe that Jesus is alive, would you, would you give me a good hearty amen? amen. Okay. I believe you. Hey, hey, if you believe that your life and life eternal is wrapped up in his resurrection, that's your hope. Would you give me a good hallelujah? All right, I believe you. Thank you for doing that. You know, look around. Look at everybody in here. We're not alone. We're not alone in believing that Jesus is alive. We're not alone in believing that he is life and life eternal. I have to tell you something about this service. I've been quoted since last night and again today saying, boy, our, our fourth service tomorrow is going to be really small. There's, surely there's not going to be anybody here. Look around, pretty good size. In our first three services, we are right at 3,000 people. So that's why I thought nobody's going to be here at the 1045. We a ton of people, and I just, man, I don't know about y'all. I need that encouragement. Out there in the world today, I need to know, hey, I'm not the only one who believes. I'm not the only one trying to follow Jesus. Draw encouragement that we do this together. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, uh, at the end of the service today, There's going to be an opportunity for you to make a special decision to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Maybe that's something you've been thinking about, asking questions about, wondering about. Maybe it's not something you've thought anything about at all. But I want you to begin praying right now. God, am I here for this moment? Am I here for this this decision that needs to be made in my life? And just let God speak to you right now. So my message today is called Two Rocks and a Popo. 
little bit of a different sermon title, I think, for Easter. Probably the weirdest one I've had on an Easter Sunday. But let's see if we can make some sense out of that title. Let's start with our Bible. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians. Maybe you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app. But get to 1 Corinthians, your New Testament, about 90% of the way through the Bible. So I got, was got Acts and Romans before it, 2 Corinthians and Galatians after it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll begin reading in verse 3. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Okay, I got to stop right there. What he just said is, I'm giving you what's most important. Now, you and I are dealing with a lot of important things in life, right? I would imagine right now, somebody, you're making an important decision. Right now, maybe there's a, an opportunity or a challenge in an important relationship. Maybe there's an important event, an important situation. We deal with important things all the time. Our life is filled with important things. Our thoughts, our desires, very important to me. So I want you to hear the God trying to break into your list. I want you to hear God saying, hey, all that important stuff, I want you to hear what is most Important. That's a big thing to say. Let's see what it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, here it is, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the Scriptures. I think that phrase is really important. In accordance with the Scriptures. Jesus didn't die because the Romans were bloodthirsty. He didn't die because the Pharisees were mean. He didn't die because God was trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Jesus died on a cross according to God's plan. And it was a plan that was communicated in the Scriptures before we ever got to that day. Matter of fact, if you're familiar with the Gospel story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the things that happened there at the cross, pierced in his hands and feet, pierced in his side. They gambled for his clothing. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. I want to encourage you maybe, if you have a few moments by yourself this afternoon, read Psalm 22. Read Isaiah 53. Both of them give incredible detail about what is going to happen at the cross But Psalm 22 was written 900 years before the cross. Isaiah 53 written 750 years before the cross. I'm not saying that because I go to this church. I'm not saying that because, well, that's what Christians are supposed to believe. That's our faith. I'm saying that because it's a historical fact. It's historically verifiable. God called the shot way before he took it so that you and I could see it. And see what God is doing. This was happening according to God's plan. Christ died according, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. There was an eyewitness. Then to the twelve. Oh, there was twelve eyewitnesses. Then he appeared to more than five hundred at one time. Okay, there's a whole lot of witnesses. And do you know a whole lot of those eyewitnesses gave their life saying they had seen that? No big gain. They didn't get wealthy off of it. They just said, I've seen the resurrected Christ. And they gave their lives for that truth. So what I just read might be described as the most succinct, the simplest, the shortest definition in the Bible of what the gospel 
is. We hear that word all the time, the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. It is as simple as that. You know, when I, when I use that word simple, I think about the complexity of the Bible. There's a lot in here. This is a book by God. This is a book about God. It's a book about you. It's a book about life. It's a book about life eternal. It's a book about all of the issues and situations and relationships and things that you deal with in life. And it is miraculously, wondrously, beautifully put together in one story. The reason I say one story is when you sit down and read it from Genesis to Revelation, it reads like one story. It reads like one person sat down and wrote this all out because over and over deals with hundreds of topics and issues, but with, with clarity, with consistency, and with unity, always in agreement from one page to the next. But it was written over 1,500 years. It was written on three different continents. Think how many cultures and time periods 1,500 years entails. Three continents entails. Yeah, think about it this way. Let's not go back 1,500 years. Let's just go back 15 years. 15 years, one continent, one nation, the United States of America, 2008. What was the 10 most important issues in 2008? Let's say we've got a list of, hey, here was the 10 most important things to us as, as a people, as a nation in 2008. And what were we saying about that? What, was, what were the journalists saying? What was the news saying? What, what were we saying about those things? Now, if we fast forward 15 years, would we have the same list of 10? Would we be saying the same things about those 10 things? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but things have changed in America in the last 15 years. Because that's what happens. In a life, in a home, in a nation, things change. And yet with all that change, over 1,500 years, there's that clarity, that consistency, that unity. It's an incredible book. Speaking to all of the issues in your life. It is a beautiful complexity. You can spend your whole life studying this and never quite be done. There's always more. And yet I say that. I say all that complexity to say this. It also comes down to a real simplicity. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and he rose again on the third day. A couple of weeks ago, actually not a couple, a week and a half ago, just a week and a half ago, Karen and I got home from after uh, 10 days in the Holy Land in Israel. We weren't there alone. We went with 88 of you. There was 90 of us that got to travel through the Holy Land from one biblical site to another. It was phenomenal to watch the pages of Scripture kind of open up at these places where they took place. It was an exciting time. Of course, when you go on a trip, uh, you, you take pictures, and then you want to come home and show people pictures, and they never get quite as excited as you. Have you noticed that? So I'm not going to show you all my pictures, but well, you know what? This is the last service. I've got time now to show you all my pictures. No, I'm just going to show you a couple. And, a, and these pictures, I hope, will make sense out of at least the two rocks in my sermon title. Okay? So the first rock right here, that's Golgotha. 
You know, in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it says they took Jesus and crucified him at where? Golgotha. What does Golgotha mean? It's a nickname. It means place of the skull. Why would they call a hill the place of the skull? Do you see a little bit to the right side of that hill? You see the two indentions look kind of like eyes? It's a skull, so the nose is kind of flat, and then a mouth under it. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to imagine why somebody would call this the place of the skull. You'll also notice there's buses there. You can't take a picture of Golgotha without taking a picture of buses because there is a bus station at what you and I call Gotha. goes right up, as you can see, to the base of that hill. And I wanted us to kind of imagine maybe what it looked like in Jesus' day. Of course, they didn't have a whole lot of cameras or smartphones in Jesus' day. But I do have a, an old picture before the bus station, before things around it were developed, this hill outside of Jerusalem. I think it's even clearer in the black and white, isn't it? Straight on. Do you see the skull there? Do you see why somebody, hey, we're going to call this the place of the skull. Um, I believe that is the place Jesus was crucified. There, there are, when you, when you travel around Jerusalem, there's, there's going to be a couple possibilities and reasons for, hey, here's why we think this is where this happened. When it comes to the crucifixion, I think this is by far and away the place where it happened. First of all, just the face in that hill. It's just hard to get past the nickname 2,000 years ago, the place of the skull. There it is. There's another place that I, I think, another reason why I think this would be a real good place for that, and that, and that is its location. Now, we've got a lot of great songs, don't we? A lot of great songs and hymns where when we sing about the crucifixion, we put the cross up on top of the hill, right? Cross is always up on top of the hill, on a hill called Mount Calvary. Right? Okay, more than likely, I hate to say this, the cross probably was not on top of the hill. The cross would have been down in the front, down at the base. Why do I say that? Because when Romans crucified people, they were not just killing criminals, they were not just killing enemies, they were also terrorizing the town. They were terrorizing the people that they were trying to keep control of. So when they executed somebody, they wanted to put it in your face. So they put it where a lot of people were going to be. They like to put it on what you and I would call major highways, major thoroughfares, big intersections. Well, right in front of this hill is a road. It was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It would have been the biggest road coming out of Jericho to the biggest, closest by town, Jericho. There would have been always a stream of people, and it would have been down there on the ground because they wanted it in your face as you walked by. So, I say all that to say, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, folks, that's where Jesus died for my sins. I'm saying that very personally, not as a statement of theology. I'm saying very personally, right there at that rock is where Jesus died for my sins. That's where Jesus died for your sins. You know, when I first put my faith and trust in that, man, there's a lot to understand there. We sing a lot. We've sang a lot today about blood. Kind of weird. Why? Why, why do we think so much? We sing. How many people sing about blood why does somebody need to die? 
How does Jesus dying have an impact on me? I mean, there's a lot of questions there to understand. And I would actually tell you to this day, almost 41 years later, I feel like I'm still growing in my understanding of all there is to understand about what Jesus was doing for me at the cross and what that blood means and why God used blood and why God used death and how that impacts me. I'm certainly still growing in my appreciation for what happened there at the cross. But without all of that understanding, I came to faith in Christ because I, I, I chose to believe, just like we read today, some really simple messages. I'm a sinner that's a problem. Jesus fixed my problem at that rock. I mean, it really just comes down to that simple statement of faith. So there's Jesus. He died on that rock. And of course, somebody's dead. Now what do we got to do? We got to bury him. So let me take you to another rock, a rock that we have carved out a tomb. And this is a possible tomb where Jesus lay. Now, notice I said possible. Boy, with a lot of conviction, I said, this is where Jesus was crucified. I know that's the hill. I don't care what anybody else says. On knowing where Jesus was laying, where, what, what tomb he was laying, a little bit harder to say that. We're just not given the details that would pinpoint Hey, here's the tomb. This tomb right here, I like because it's in the proximity of where that would have happened. It was clearly a rich man's tomb, which Jesus used a rich man's tomb. No, so he just borrowed it for a couple of days, right? He just used that tomb for a couple of days. And uh, again, there would be a couple of places where people would suggest that possibly would be. What I find interesting about this one is that marking Right there. So in ancient times, they really depended upon oral tradition. And because they didn't do a lot of writing, didn't have a lot of books, uh, they really counted on oral tradition and people were good at being very accurate. I'm sure they lied and exaggerated just like we do today. But they were really good at being accurate with things. Well, as the days, the weeks became months, became years, I mean, obviously, people, the week Jesus was resurrected, they knew where he was slain. They went out to it. Others would have gone out to see. So a lot of people would have known where that tomb was. And they kept telling people. And then the church was birthed. And they kept telling the church, hey, here's where that happened. And people would go and see. And so it would be pretty well known where something was. But along about, and I, th- I think, I might could get corrected on this. I think it was in the 4th century. The Byzantine church said, hey, what if, what if somebody forgets? What if somebody starts sending people to the wrong place? And so they marked the tomb that they had been going to all along. And they marked it with that marking on the wall. That marking is from the 4th century and basically says Jesus laid here. This was was his tomb. Now, that's not actually the rock, the carved out rock I want you to see. My second rock we have to come out of the tomb to see. That's the entrance to it. Of course, when Jesus used it, it wouldn't have had a gate on it. That's that's been put there now. Uh, There's a time you can go in and there's a time you can't. Okay, and so they closed the gate. But we come out of the tomb and you can't see the second rock because the second rock's not there. There is no rock sealing the tomb. 
Because Jesus came out of the tomb. The rock was moved. He is alive. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, Jesus was declared the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. It is by his death, burial, and resurrection that I have been rescued from sin and death and hell. And I know that I am loved and forgiven and have eternal life. Man, that's good news, isn't it? That is good news. And I, and I don't know about you. When I get good news, I want to share it, right? Yeah, you mean have you ever had? You know, I can't wait to get home because I want to. I want to be able to share good news. I want to be able to call somebody because I want to share the good news that happened today. I think Jesus kind of counted on you and I wanting to share good news, but He did a little more than just count on it. He commanded it. <laughs> he commanded you and I to share the good news of His death, burial, and resurrection. Commanded us to share it with our friends and with our enemies. To share it with our neighbor and with the person on the other side of the world. Everywhere we can, everywhere we go, we're to be sharing the good news. Man, I wanted to share that good news. It, it really touched me that God would love me like this. And, and I started thinking of people I wanted to share that with. And two of those people were Popo and Grammy. Now, you might guess by those names who Popo and Grammy are. They're, they're my grandparents. And uh, man, I love Popo and Grammy. I, I was I was very close to them. Popo, in particular, Grammy was just phenomenal. Every time I went to her house, she had a basement, whole wall of cookies. I don't know how she made that many cookies, but I loved her for it. I loved her for it very much. And my grandfather, I I think my grandfather thought I was like the coolest person in the world. And I like anybody who thinks I'm the coolest person in the world. I, I just every time I was around my grandfather, I thought this guy really loves me. And I, I love Popo. I love being around Pope. I was excited to share this good news of what had happened in my life and talk with them about theirs. And when I shared that good news, though, folks, they weren't so impressed. As a matter of fact, probably the better word to describe how they felt would be uh, offended. That they were offended that I was sharing that with them. And I think... I don't know that I fully grasped this at the moment, but looking back on it, you know, trying to hear from their perspective, listening to their grandson share this, I think they took it that, that the fact that I was sharing this with them meant that I was saying, I think you're lost. I think you're going to hell. I think you're, you're bad people. You, you need to hear this. Well, gosh, that wasn't what I was thinking at all. I didn't think they were bad people. I don't know what other people thought of them, but I didn't think they were bad people. I thought they were incredible people. I, I love my, my popo and my Grammy. I'm, I, I love I think they were bad. I know they'd gone to church their whole lives. I'd gone to church my whole life. But something changed one day when all these things, oh yeah, I believe Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I, there's a lot of time in my life I would have said I believe that. But one day, May 12, 1982, it became really personal. And I just wanted to share my faith story. I wanted, I wanted to hear them share their faith story. I thought that's what believers like to do. I thought we got a lot of joy in being able to share that and, and hear each other and be encouraged in the gospel. But they, they didn't, that, that, whole, that did not at all play out like I thought it would in my mind. You know, so obviously we left that moment. It was, it was a bit tense. I didn't give up. <laughs> I, I, over the years... 
I, I kept sharing the gospel with them. Sometimes, like I had done that day in a very kind of sit down, formal presentation, point number one, point number two, point number three. Other times, I just would a little snippet, just a little thought, maybe a little bit of something going on in my life with Christ. And you know, each time, sometimes very direct, sometimes indirectly, but each time it was a real clear no. Well, as time would have it, Popo died. That's what Popos do. Well, it's, it's what all of us do, right? And when Popo died, I grieved not getting to talk with him anymore, right? We used to write each other a lot. I, I grieved not getting to be around him, but that was not the heaviness of my grief. My real grief is that I believed that Popo had gone to hell. That's a hard thing to say. I imagine to somebody in here that that's kind of a confusing thing to say. Maybe even it sounds judgmental, like I know, like I'm sending them. I, I don't know. Nobody knows, right? I mean, heaven or hell. Nobody on this earth really knows for sure what has gone on in a person's heart and life. Only God knows that. I knew that then. I know only God knows, maybe. But I, 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 I believed he was. Because while I don't know that for a fact, I do know what the Bible says. I know Acts 4.12 says that you and I are saved by no other name than the name of Jesus. There's only one name I can hold on to that rescues me from sin, death, and hell. I know what Jesus said in John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one I don't care how religious you are, spiritual you are, good you think you are. No one comes to the Father except through me. Incredibly exclusive. The way is exclusive, but it's open to all. The invitation is to everyone. No matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, where you've been. The way is open, but it is a way. And I know church people, good people, paid their taxes, didn't commit any crimes that I know of. But they said no to the name of Jesus. You know, the idea, the thought of thinking of a popo in hell is unnerving to some people about God. As a matter of fact, I've, I've heard people say, and I bet you have too, I don't, know if I, I don't know if I want to believe in a God that sends popos to hell. They probably don't say popo. But have you ever heard that? I don't... I don't want to believe in a God that sends people to hell. What kind of, I thought he was a loving God. What kind of loving God sends people to hell? It's a very natural question, I think, for us to ask, but it is based on some really wrong assumptions. It kind of assumes that I'm owed heaven. Not like heaven's mine. You know, I, I live this life with heaven being mine, and if I don't get it, then something's wrong, somebody's done something, somebody has taken from me heaven, and a wrong, an injustice has been done to me if I don't, if I don't get heaven. And of course, the second wrong assumption it makes is that God's the one who needs to step up and answer for himself. If somebody's not getting into heaven, it, you know, the challenge here, the problem here is God. Well, let's think about those. Uh, folks, we're not basically good people. 
I'm not saying you've never done good. I'm sure you have. I'm sure some of you in here, you've got neighbors that love the fact you're their neighbor. You've got co-workers that love the fact they get to work with you. You are loved, you are accepted, and you have loved people. Folks, on our best day of loving, our love falls so far short of God's. So much of our love is actually driven by selfishness. I'm not saying all of it, but a whole lot of it is. I love you because you love me back. I love you because you make me feel good. And boy, the moment you stop making me feel good, guess what comes into question? Love. Well, that's not how God's love works. Whatever we're talking about, kindness, love, justice. And here's the bottom line. You and I are nothing like God. And we're nothing like his heaven. So how is it we think we're owed it? You know, probably the best evidence I have for how far you are from God is you. You, more than anybody else, knows what goes on inside your heart and mind. You know what's going on in there. And it's nothing like God. You say, how do you know? Because I know what goes on in my heart and mind. And I'm a lot better than most of (laughs) y'all. Well, no, that last part's not so true. But honestly, folks, at the end of the day, what overwhelms me is not always the sins that have worked their way out and become action. It's, It's what goes on in my heart and mind. I'm not like God and I'm not like his heaven. And yet God moved. We challenge if God's loving and yet it was God's love and it was God's work. Nothing I had done that he moved to rescue me from the position I was in. He moved to make a way for me into his love and heaven. He did that. He provided a rescue for me. And I either accept the rescue or I reject the rescue. Listen, if I reject the rescue, that doesn't put a question mark on God. That puts an exclamation point on me. If I reject, what what do you mean by, we we reject for all kinds of reasons. I reject because I don't believe all that foolishness anyway. I I reject because I've chosen another religion, a better religion. I like the way they do that. I reject because I'm a pretty good person. I reject because I'm pretty spiritual. I reject because I'm just counting on what I've done. All kinds of reasons we don't lay hold of Christ and Christ alone. But if I reject, that doesn't call into question God. That puts an exclamation point on me. Well, I went to go do my my grandfather's funeral and... uh, they, they were in an assisted living facility, and in, in that building there was a chapel. So I was inside, I was walking down a hallway, and I was walking up to some doors to go into the chapel. The service started in like five minutes. I mean, it was real, real soon. But as I was walking in, literally, I think I had the door open. I could just, you know, just see something out of the corner of your eye. And I, I look down this hallway, and I see this lady kind of, I wouldn't say she was running, but she looked kind of frantic and hurried, okay? And it took me just one second of looking at her to see. I think she's trying to get my attention. And, and she, come, she comes up to me, and she said, are, are you Roy Hans? She didn't call him Popo. I did. She said, are you Roy Hans' grandson? And I said, yes. And she goes, uh, you, you need to know something before you go in there. She goes, the last couple months, I've been reading scriptures with your grandfather, not quite daily, but almost every day. And I, I've been praying with him at various times. Two weeks ago, kind of out of nowhere, 
Your grandfather told me that his grandson had shared the gospel with him a number of times. And he told me that he had said no to you a number of times. And then he said, I need that gospel. I need that Jesus. And I'll tell you what, folks, from that moment forward, I could never grieve my grandfather's passing. I was too excited. I could not. I'm not saying it's wrong to grieve. I'm not saying the hope of heaven. Even the Bible talks about, hey, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. I'm just saying I could not work up any grievous feelings because I was so excited. I felt like I literally in that moment watched God reach down into hell and pluck Popo out. And I could not be anything but incredibly excited. You know, that was 29 years ago. And to this day, I don't have a greater illustration in my life that there's nothing more important, there's nothing bigger than who you are and what you have in Jesus. You know, when I say that, it, it almost sounds like I'm nothing else counts. Folks, lots of things in life count. I know they count because God shows me how to work through lots of things. Relationships count. God says, hey, here's what you do in these various kinds of relationships. Money counts. God tells me what to do with that. Decisions count. God tells me. Matter of fact, everything you are dealing with in your life right now, the Bible has an answer for it. It has a way for it. Now, if I'm being quite honest, not every one of God's answers, not every one of God's ways is always fun. Not every one of God's answers and ways has some immediate payoff. But every one of God's answers and ways is good. And it's right. And it gets us to where we want to go. So I don't want to say there's nothing going on in your life that matters. No, there's lots of things going on in your life that matters. But I know this. One day you will reach a place where everything you thought was so big and so important will instantly become meaningless will instantly become irrelevant. And all that will matter is, do you have Christ? Do, do you have Christ today? Someone says, how, how do you know? How do you know? Can anybody know for sure they have Christ? God wants you to know for sure. First John 5, 13. I've written these things. What things? I've written all this so that you may know that you have eternal life. Those who believe on the name of Son of God, that they may know. I love those words. That you may know. Not that you may hope. Not that you may think. Not, well, I've done a pretty good job. I think I'm in the right church. I think I'm doing the right thing. None of that. I want you to know. I want you to have the peace and the security and the confidence every day that you have my love, my forgiveness, and my heaven by the death and burial and resurrection of my son Jesus Christ for you. For you. He doesn't want us wandering around and hoping. He wants us to know. Do you know why we can know? Because it's based on Christ. If it was based on me, then yeah, then life's going to be wandering in doubt. You realize if you're trusting in anything other than Christ, there's going to be some element of wonder and doubt. But what I'm trusting in has already been finished. What I'm trusting in has already been accepted. Have you 
received Christ in your life. You know, I know there's folks in here right now, you, you haven't done that. You know you haven't done it. Or maybe you'd say, I'm not sure if I have or not. You know, there's a lot to grow in and understand about our salvation. But there's also the simple response of saying, I need, I want Jesus. God, I want what you did for me at the cross and in your burial and resurrection. I want to encourage you today to receive Christ in your life. You know, you don't have to come tell me that. You, you can just do that quietly there in your seat. You can do it while you're walking to the car. You can get home, be alone for a moment, and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come into my life? And he'll hear you because the Bible says whoever. I'm so grateful for that word because I'm a whoever. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But I want to challenge you to do something on this Easter Sunday. I want to challenge you to put feet to your faith. I want to challenge you to put flesh on your belief. And in a moment, I want you to stand up and come down to this altar and say, I need Jesus. That will be for you. That's not for God. That's for you. That's for you, that you see your life moving toward Christ. Here's what we're going to do. We're, going to, we're all going to rise in just a moment and, and have one more song to conclude our ceremony, our celebration today of our resurrected Lord and Savior. And as we're singing, that's when I encourage you just to step out and come down here. You may say, well, I, I can't get out. I'm, I'm, look how full the place is. I'm, on a, I'm in the middle of a row. I'm not going to... Hey, let me tell you something. If you just tap the person next to you and say, I need to get out and go down, I'm going to speak on behalf of that person in that entire row and tell you that is the best thing I will do this entire Easter is get out of your way so you can go down to the altar. Am I right, congregation? Yeah, yeah, you're okay of getting out of the way for somebody, aren't you? I, I thought maybe so. So while we're singing... You just, you just slip out and you come down. You can come down here and you can kneel. You can come down here and just stand on the front row if you want. You can pray. You can join us in song. Just move. Just move and come to this altar. When we're done singing, I'm going to have some of our pastors down here. When we're done singing, the, the pastors will take you back out to the uh, our next step desk out there. We just want to make sure if you've got any questions, maybe you want to pray with somebody. One of the things we want want to talk to you for a moment, we just want to give you this book, Welcome to the Family. And, And it says at the bottom here, beginning steps to help you grow in Christ. You know, the next few steps you take today, tomorrow, this week, will set the tone for maybe your entire journey of faith. So it's really important to know, hey, what did Jesus say? about my next steps. What did Jesus say about what just happened in this moment? And that's what we want to give you is not just a good feeling. We want to give you God's word and let you see what Jesus has said about this moment and what you do next and connecting with a church family and following the Lord in believers baptism. So we want to get that to you. We'll take you out there. By the way, where we take you is where all your family and friends are going in just a second. We're not taking you out of the stream of where you're going, what you're doing. We won't make you late to anything. It's just a matter of a couple of minutes. Will you take that step of faith for your eternity, for the comfort of those around you that will grieve when you pass? Will you take that step and come down here and say, I need, I want Jesus. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move through this room right now. And you would speak directly to the person, the persons you want to come forward. I pray they know 
beyond a shadow of a doubt, they're following your voice. Not my, not my voice, not a moment, but God, they're following you. They're answering your call to come and receive your love, your forgiveness, and eternal life. God, may they hear you right now say, you, come down. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.